I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Mito. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What is going on, business artists? You are listening to The Artist Business Plan, which means that you are certifiably awesome. As you know, if you've been listening with us, but also if you're new, I am James Milley, the co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the US, and one of the top resources for all things art, artists, and marketing of your art. Today, we've got Bunny Reese here with us on the mic. Bunny is going to share an awesome masterclass with you today on how to take risks and follow your true path. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited to hear what she has to say. But first, I've got an amazing offer here just for you ABP listeners. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone, and not sure about the next move for your career? Good news, those days are over. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine art fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we are offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world slash offer to learn more. We can't wait to welcome you to the Superfine community and start helping you sell more art today. Before we dive into it, Bunny, I want to ask something uh, to help our listeners get to know the real you. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? Uh, I have memories of my mother asking me to write thank you cards to different family members for gifts or showing up for birthday birthdays, whatever. And I always drew these strange little pictures and, and I remember them very, very clearly. And what was crazy is a couple years ago, um, someone who I grew up with, like a grand, a grandmother figure sent all the thank you cards back to me and I she was like I've been saving these for you I think it's time for you to see them and they're all these strange characters that I drew on cards for her and they look so much like what I do now it's it's really strange so I remember doing them but I didn't remember anything about them until I saw them recently and I was just like totally shocked by it totally shocked that's kind of amazing right like not only has your entire life uh, led you to where you are with with uh, the style of your art, like what what it is that you want to be making, but also just having such a clear connection uh, to figures and characters from the start. But uh, but thank you for sharing that with our listeners, Bunny. Let's go ahead and jump into the rest of the questions that we have for you. So Bunny, you are known for your murals and larger public art installations, yet you have a quiet studio practice. Uh, how does your process inform and relate to the finished projects? Well, I, I think my studio practice, it always becomes a study for something larger. And I, I think, you know, a lot of artists, depending on your process, you might have a sketchbook first, and then maybe you're going to make it into a painting and, or maybe you're going to do like more finished drawing. It, you know, it kind of depends on everyone's process. But for me, I will often use my sketchbook and then I don't always 
use the image immediately, but sometimes I'll refer back to it and I'll make paintings from it or I'll quilt from it. And then when I get to a point where I'll be doing like a large installation or a large mural, I usually will go back to one of the paintings and try to execute it on a large wall, depending on the client. Because I think that, um, I think that when you're making your work, the iteration of you doing it over and over again leads to sort of the confident mark making, which leads to the rec the recognizable work of a particular person. And I, I've, I've been asked many times, like, how did I get my style? And it just kind of comes out of me. I don't know how I got it, but I do know that I do what I do over and over again. And I think that that really solidifies you and your style and who you are as an artist. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think that it's really cool that your work starts on this small scale. I think it's important. And like you were mentioning, kind of with the sketchbook or, or just having a smaller scale version that you then iterate into a larger or more detailed version. Um, I, you know, I think that our brains and our imaginations, our creativity oftentimes is a little faster than, um, uh, than it can be to actually make a piece when it's large or complex and there's so much detail to it. It's kind of these, uh, two opposing forces, right? You have, um, you have the process, the technique, which is very time consuming and meticulous. And then you have these visceral ideas and, and thoughts going through your head. So I think having something like a sketchbook or just some, some way of getting that idea out faster, uh, and then refining it. I, I agree with you. You kind of iterate it into this final version that, um, that you can just feel very confident about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's really important to know that the paintings take a very long time. My studio work takes a very long time. It can be like months and months and months and months before I finish a single painting. The murals though, they come out of me really fast. There's something about like the larger mark making that is visually easier for me. I tend to futz a lot with little things and also my, my mark making gets really small. So right. it's just, it's more concentration. Um, and I just think studio practice is very different than being in the public you know, it, it's private. It can be difficult. It can be difficult to get yourself into the mode of being in your studio. Whereas when I'm in the public, it just feels kind of wild and free and I'm on this big equipment. So I, I'm, you know, I, I feel like above everything cause I'm physically above it, but like my brain feels that way too. So it's more that there's just this energy pouring out of me in almost like a really fast chaotic way. And the studio is just much more quiet. It's much more simple and it takes lot, lots longer, way longer. <laughs> very interesting. And that, that does make sense. And also with the, um, the murals, it's very um, site specific. So I'm, I'm sure that that kind of influences you too. You kind of have something that you're, uh, you're bouncing off of versus the studio might feel like more of this blank canvas, like it's completely up to your mind. So I bet that might also factor yeah, in. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Like the, when you're, when you're doing anything in public, you're working with the architecture and you're also working with the history of the building. And you're also working with the energy of the location and the vibration of the city that you're in. There's like all these other factors. So you, you're, you're really busy. Like your brain is super duper busy, which makes like, for me, it makes, 
painting much easier. Whereas quiet spaces are harder. I often have to have like music or books, like books on tape or even like movies or sitcoms or so many things going on around me when I'm in my studio to get me to be able to concentrate. I love that. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, uh, Bunny, so my next question. So how do you approach risk-taking and why do you think that risks are important for a creative or an artist? Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty calculated to be honest with you, but I also think that, I mean, we, we have like one chance to do this, to do this life. And if you're lucky enough to feel confident enough to just do it, then it's, it's good to just jump in with both feet. Um, I think a lot about this I because of the last year or I guess now 19 months. Um, I, I feel like if there's anything that I took out of it and there was a lot that I took out of it, but the main thing was that everything can change at a moment's notice. You could just be sitting there getting ready to execute a million projects. I was supposed to get on an airplane and be gone for months you know, and everything was canceled overnight. And it really was, it was like 48 hours. And then like my whole life was canceled, like so many other people. And I think that, um, with that, I had this like great sense of being like, wow, I really need to be doing what I feel like doing right now. And if even with my practice, I'm not doing exactly what I need to do, I need to regroup because I, again, was just struck by how fast something can change and be completely out of your hands. And I don't, I don't want regrets. And I think that in our world, we live with a lot of regrets. So I always encourage people to, if they can, I mean, I don't have children and I'm unmarried. So my life is a little more free, I think, than some people. But if you can, like, do what you want to do. It, it will serve you and it will also serve the people around you. And you will be a stronger community person and be able to serve the world better if you're also serving yourself in an honest way. Do what you want to do. That is such good advice, Bunny. Um, definitely, uh, I think this this last 18 months, 19 months uh, has has shown us all for sure that you know things can change so quickly and we just need to... Uh, embrace what we have in front of us right now and and uh go for it i i completely agree um now kind of on that that token so you've lived you've traveled and painted all over the world um now in terms of choosing choosing this career path what called you to it and what advice would you give to an artist who also wants to take their work abroad or take their work um kind of on tour or like travel with it um, I, I mean, well, I started because I was living in a city where there was no room to paint big. And I think people who started their careers in New York or Brooklyn or San Francisco or Oakland, you know, more expensive places to live. I, I was in the Bay Area and it was so much fun, but I lived in the smallest room and it was so expensive and I couldn't afford a studio outside of it. So I worked in my room and I found that painting really large felt good to me. So I, I, you know, was given an opportunity to paint something on the street and I, it took me so long. I remember it was a tiny wall. It took me so long and 
but I remember just like walking away with the sense of relief that I was able to paint this huge thing and then like leave it there and not have to store it or worry about, you know, what I was going to do with this huge canvas or anything. And so it was really a logistical thing. I didn't really think about the impact of putting art in public spaces for a long time. And then, I mean, what was really great is I realized that everything about putting art in public spaces worked for me. It worked for me politically. It worked for me spiritually. It worked for my practice, like everything about it. I just, at the time, hadn't even thought about how awesome it was and how effective it was as a conversation. And um, since I'm awkward, like most artists, it's an easier conversation to have than to have one face to face. Um, but I think that especially young artists need to understand that they're coming up in a completely different world than I did. And technology is really important, but it is just not the end all to an art practice. You have to work really hard and you have to work for a really long time. And you have to really be careful of imposter syndrome and all of these other kind of like ego conversations that come up with internet and influencers and, you know, all interviews, all of it. But you also have to use it. You have to use the tool in a smart way. So there's a, there's a weird balance, I think, with artists nowadays that uh, I don't envy them at all coming up in an age like this. Um, but I do think that if you can manage getting through and, and seeing that practice as practice, any way you cut it, then you will become successful at whatever you do. And, um, you know, as far as traveling or doing any of that, I mean, you can just travel with your paints in your backpack and you can stay at different places around the world and you can tell them that you're a muralist and would they be would they, would they be okay with you putting something up in their hostel or the side of their restaurant? You know, you're not going to make any money. That's going to take a long time, but you can very much travel with paints in your backpack and explore and just see how it feels to put your art up somewhere publicly and to have it as an offering around the world. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense, but <laughs> no, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And, you know, I think that what I take away from what you just said is that there's really no harm, you know, if you want to just like try traveling, like you said, there's a lot less, um, uh, there's a lot fewer logistical hurdles to it where it's just, you paint it and then it's done. It's there. You don't have to store it, transport it, anything like that. That's something I've never really thought about with murals where it's like actually in a lot of ways, logistically easier. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's, there's no harm in like going somewhere. And, you know, if you're just traveling, finding a place where you can find someone who has a wall and, <clears throat> and they feel comfortable with you, um, you know, testing it, something out on it and see how it feels. See if painting large is something for you and, uh, and then you can definitely pursue that. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. For sure. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to doing what you want to do. If it feels good, the more you do it, the more you will have the opportunity to possibly make money off of what you're doing. You know, people can feel that energy. They can feel when you're doing something that you love and, and that's what they're attracted to. And so eventually you will you will make a life for yourself and be able to pay for it.
but it, it takes time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's something that we've heard time and again from, uh, from people who come to Superfine and they buy art. It's honestly the thing that attracts them to buying it is um, just that the artist so clearly loves what they do. Um, and it really is all about being authentic and just starting with doing what you love first. And then uh, a lot of other things, you still have to do the work, but a lot of things will fall into place from there. And then you, you know, you give it the structure by uh, um, putting the work into. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, cool. Well, we are going to come right back and Bunny is going to tell you more of what you want to know about creating from your roots and much more. But first, a message from our sponsors. New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and yes, Miami. These are just a few of the places where you and your art can meet your next collector when you take the next step and exhibit with us at Superfine Art Fairs. For nearly six years, we've taken thousands of hours to develop the best art fair model for artists out there. Superfine Fairs have helped hundreds of artists just like you take control of their careers, build relationships with collectors, and create the art income and freedom that you deserve. For a limited time, we're offering you the chance to not only get a great discount on your booth, but also appear on this very podcast as a special guest, reaching thousands of artists, art influencers, collectors, and arts professionals every day. To find out how you can take advantage of this incredible opportunity, just visit www.superfine.world offer to learn more. Don't miss the chance to be a part of the top business artist community in the world. So, Bunny, you get your influences from Eastern European folklore and mysticism. Can you give us some of the backstory or a tale that really inspires you from your culture? Uh, I think that, I mean, when I look at Polish folk art or Russian folk art, there's a lot of fairy tale attached to it, but there's also just all the motifs and the designs associated with it are just beautiful. And there is this like strong, this, this strong thread of, being connected to nature and nature affecting people and people being affected by nature. But I mean, if you go to Poland, you can see buildings that are painted with traditional folk art motifs all over them and they're beautiful. So it's not really, uh, it, it's not really an unusual thing to see in a lot of Eastern European countries. People decorated their, their small towns for years and years. It's pretty common. And I think as I got older and I started exploring more and more, I understood that it was just in my blood and this is where these things were coming from. I don't have a lot of specifics around that as far as like actual fairy tales, because a lot of fairy tales are gory and <laughs> they're really gory. And I'm not, I'm not really a big like gore person, but if you read a lot of them, you're like, okay, this is crazy. But they, they do talk a lot about our relationship with nature which I think is important. I love that. And <laughs> I, I definitely know what you mean by the, the gory fairy tales. Um, yeah, and your work is far from that. <laughs> but, um, but definitely that connection to nature. And I love what you said about um, nature affecting people and people affecting nature and kind of just this, um, this conversation between the two, uh, I think is really cool. And you can definitely see that in your work. So uh, I, I love that that's kind of where it stems from and that you have this, uh, this cultural backstory to your work as well. Uh, my next question for you, Bunny. So you wrote and illustrated a children's book called The Cosmic Child. What was this process like? What was it like creating it and getting it published? Um, and also is illustrating 
perhaps a good avenue for artists to also make supplemental income? Um, it was awesome. The process was really great, but it was a lot of work. And I feel a little bit more confident about it now, but I still don't really understand the the world of publishing that much because I worked with a really small independent children's book publisher in Southern California. And I just, I was trying to learn the system of how people do this, these kinds of things for regular income or just even making regular books. And it's tricky now because again, there's like so much self-publishing and people can just promote and do things the way they want to do it. So it's a little tricky, but I love the process. I did, I worked with a writer who was amazing, Elizabeth Hendon, and she really helped me formulate the conversation more because I'd put so much energy into the paintings and I had a very loose narrative and a very loose written book, but it was just not ready to be published. I needed someone to rewrite it and reformulate the story. And and the whole book was based on, um, just cosmology in general, which is complicated and a little heavy, heavy handed. Um, there's like a lot of critical theory surrounding it and I wanted it to be accessible to both children and adults. So it took some time in writing and then it took over a year to paint all the paintings that were collected in it. And then you have to find, um, someone that's going to do the layout for you. The publishing company took care of all of that for me but then there's just editing and it's just a lot of work. I think that it could be lucrative if you can take all of it in house, but then, I mean, you're a full-time bookmaker and you have to have all of that, that dialed in to really understand it. But I think books are amazing. I'm hoping that I can start doing a few more. I really, really want to do a couple of them. I have so many ideas. I just haven't had the time to really focus and I'm hoping in the near future, I'll be able to. I love that. And, you know, I think the most important thing from what you said for artists to remember is just that it is its own industry. It's, you know, even if, you know, you have, if you're very prolific with your art, you know, there's all of these other aspects to be keeping in mind, the layout, the the narrative. Um, I I love that you were working with someone who, who actually helped you with that, um, but definitely, uh, like you were saying, to like actually make it lucrative, uh, self-publishing might be the best route to go um, for an artist. But then again, you know, that is so much work. And so you really need to be prepared for that. Um, so I think that's that's a uh, some really good insider feedback, Bunny, <laughs> on, on kind of the process. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> um, now, uh, Bunny, so this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, let's go ahead and bring it home for our listeners out there with one more question. And that is, what is one way that artists listening can rev up their career? I think that a really good way to rev up your career, especially right now, is to consider where you're living, your overhead, and if the place that you're, you're positioned right now is serving you we're kind of in like a weird world right now and big cities are expensive. If there's a way to live just outside a big city, I think it's really important. I think it's important to give yourself time to explore right now, because even though um, the economy might, might not be 
doing too hot for a few years. I think we're in like a good renaissance. I think there's going to be some really amazing art and music and literature that will come out of the next couple of years. So the best thing you can do for your career, in my opinion right now, is to sort of take take things down a few notches to make it affordable for you to be able to make, just make things right now. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll come out of this feeling stronger than ever and um, have some really beautiful art to back up all these crazy things that have been going on in the world. I think that that's some really incredible insight. And, you know, definitely right now, something that I've noticed just kind of traveling around the country is that you have this trickle down effect, right? Where it used to be where if you wanted um, uh, to like go to a, a trendy restaurant, you had to be in a major city. And then otherwise there was this like very polar difference in, in smaller cities, but with, you know, kind of the introduction of social media, like culture and ideas being spread way more easily. Um, you, you have like culture, food, like all of these things that you normally would only expect in like New York city, San Francisco, LA. Um, you, you get that in these smaller cities, especially ones that are just outside of major cities, like you said. Um, so there's this opportunity to have a lower cost of living, but not necessarily a less interesting lifestyle. In some ways, it might be more exciting because uh, the things cost less. And so you can do them more frequently. Um, but, uh, but definitely, uh, I, I think that's uh, some amazing advice. And definitely, it's always good to just take a step back, pause for a second, and evaluate what you're doing in life. Just make sure that like, okay, am I doing, is everything I'm doing what I truly want to be doing? And if it's time to make some adjustments, then, you know, who, who's stopping you? You can, you can absolutely make those adjustments. Definitely. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, uh, to all of you business artists out there, Bunny has been here with us today sharing her amazing perspective. Um, you can listen to this in all of our past podcasts on our website at www.superfine.world. To connect with Bunny, you can follow her on Instagram at Bunny Love Rocks. That's B-U-N-N-I-E-L-U-V Rocks, like rocks. <laughs> um, and visit BunnyReese.com. Reese is R-E-I-S-S dot com. And as always, remember that we are Superfine Art Fair on Instagram. Uh, we always appreciate you sharing uh, experience listening uh, to the Artist Business Plan on Instagram, on Apple Podcasts. Um, those reviews and just sharing it on social media um, are really how other artists find out about us and uh, also learn from the advice that we and our guests have to offer. So we really appreciate that. As always, I'd like to wrap up the class by sharing a quick quote with you all. And that quote is, as I work at my drawings day after day, what seemed unattainable before is now gradually becoming possible. Slowly, I'm learning to observe and measure. I don't stand quite so helpless before nature any longer. That is Vincent van Gogh. Bunny, it has been such a pleasure having you here with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners. And for that, we are so grateful. Thank you so much. And thank you. Uh, everyone else, have an awesome rest of your day. And remember to stay on top of your artist business plan, get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. 
Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this and all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. Yeah.